following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. When I was in high school, I took four years of Spanish. Four years of high school Spanish, and I know almost no Spanish. I mean, to this day, I can count to ten. Uh, I know a couple of random words and a few phrases that would not help me in any way, shape, or form if I found myself in a Spanish-speaking country. But see, even in that class, I went to class every day. Four years of high school Spanish, I went every day. I turned in every assignment, took every test. I even got a decent grade. Now, Some of that's because our teacher graded on a curve and the rest of the class was as bad at Spanish as I was. But still, I got a decent decent grade. But the thing is, my attendance didn't translate to transformation. My attendance didn't change who I was. Now, attendance is a key component to growing in any area of life, and we all know that. You know that if, you're, if you don't show up, you'll never grow up, right? You're, you're in school, you're taking a class, you don't show up to class, you'll fail out. If you don't show up to work, you get fired. Relationships, right? If you're not there for a friend, they'll stop coming to you. Attendance, being present, is necessary if we're going to learn, if we're going to prepare, if we're going to mature, if if we're going to grow. We have to be there. But the point is this. Just showing up isn't enough. We have to engage the process in front of us. We have to do it for the right reasons. What does this have to do with Christmas? The question I want to ask us this morning is this. Does our approach to Christmas, our thought process, our activities, our relationships, does our approach to Christmas leave us merely attending celebrations of the birth of the Messiah? Or are we drinking deeply of the waters of salvation that are presented in the incarnation of our God? Today, we're going to look at three ways to reconsider our approach to Christmas and to turn our engagement from just showing up to growing up. And the first reconsideration comes when we expand our view of Christmas. Isaiah 42, we look at verses one through four on how we expand our view of Christmas. Let me read. Isaiah 42 says, this is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instructions. The, the my servant that Isaiah talks about here, if you look at this in the context of Isaiah, he's looking ahead to the Messiah. 
the one who's going to come to redeem and save the people of Israel. And he says, my servant, this is Jesus. And what he's saying is in part that this servant, this Messiah is not going to look the way you think he's going to look. Right? Isaiah is writing to the Israelite people. They want the Messiah to come. They are looking for the Messiah to show up. They long for that day. But God speaks to Isaiah and says, listen, it's not going to look the way you think he's going to look. When you just look at these verses, he says the, the Messiah is not going to draw attention to himself. He says he's not going to cry out in the streets. He's not going to make himself the king like you want him to make himself. He says he's not going to assert his authority with a heavy hand. Right? If you're looking for someone to come and bring you deliverance, you want somebody strong who's going to step in, who's going to you know, stiff arm your, your opposition. But Isaiah says, no. He says, a bruised reed he won't break, a smoldering wick he won't put out. He's talking about things that are easily knocked over, easily knocked out. And he says, that, that's not what the Messiah is going to do. He says he's not going to be exasperated by the rejection he receives. He says, even though the people are going to turn against him, are going to fight against him, he says Jesus is going to endure that, right? He won't be discouraged until he brings justice, until his work is finished. He says he's not going to do what you want him to do. He's not going to look the way you want him to look. This theme continues in Isaiah when you get to Isaiah 53. In the second half of verse two, he says, he being the, the Messiah he's looking forward to, he says he, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. And he's saying, listen, Israel, you're looking for a king. You're looking for somebody who's gonna do all the stuff you want him to do, who's gonna fulfill your desires, who's gonna make you happy. And essentially he says, knock it off. <laughs> He says, this is not who the Messiah is going to be. And listen, before we get too hard on the Israelites, if you and I were in their shoes, even if you and I were sitting here today and we were looking for the return of Jesus as we look forward to, Jesus is probably not going to look the way you want him to look. He's probably not going to look the way I want him to look. He's probably not going to say the things I wish he would say right? Because you and I are broken, flawed, fallen people. He is the perfect, holy, eternal God. The Messiah was not going to look the way the Israelites wanted him to look. This Messiah who, who brought God's salvation to mankind and will, as we said, return and bring justice to all nations. He didn't come to make a religious power grab. He didn't try to overthrow the Roman government. He even appeared to be defeated, beaten, crucified, and entombed. This is not what the Israelites wanted from the Messiah. In fact, even today, when you talk, talk to Jews about Jesus, like, how do you not believe he's the Messiah? Look at all the Old Testament. They would say this, because if he's the Messiah, he failed because he didn't give us what we wanted and what we expected. And yet, 
the Messiah in his death satisfied the penalty of sin and by his resurrection conquered death itself. Jesus didn't look like the Israelites wanted him to look. Jesus didn't look and won't look like you and I want him to look. That doesn't matter. Because our worship is not of a baby in a manger. Our worship is of a king in his glory. Yes, we sing songs at Christmas like Away in a Manger and What Child Is This in Silent Night, where we sing over that, that baby in the manger. But the focus, even of those songs, even of our worship of the birth of Jesus, is not on the child that lay there in that manger. Our worship is of who that child was, who that child is, and who that child forever will be. In John 1, verse 14, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Right? He says, the, the child in the manger is God come in human flesh, not just to be a baby in a manger, but to bring us God's glory, to return us to God's glory, to give us a place in God's kingdom. And that doesn't happen because a child was born. That's the beginning. Last week, we, we talked about Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13 and 14 in this, this picture of, of Jesus coming. And when we think about why we, we celebrate the birth of the child in the manger, we think about who he is, who he was, and who he forever will be. We go back to Daniel chapter 7, and he tells us exactly why we should celebrate that, why we should worship that, why we should be excited about that. Because in verse 14 of Daniel 7, he says, he, and he is Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was coming, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Right, the child came not to give the Israelites some political power, not to make us feel good about living in the USA, He came to deliver an eternal kingdom that is greater than any political viewpoint, greater than any cultural reformation that could happen. We celebrate Jesus because he is the eternal God. And if we're going to celebrate the deliverance of Christ this Christmas, then we must see the birth of Jesus for what it is the inauguration of our king and his kingdom. But the question becomes, how big is our view of Christmas? How big is our view of Christmas? Because if all we do is think about the baby in the manger, our view of Christmas is super small. <laughs> Scripture calls us to expand our view of the birth of Jesus, to know who he was, who he is, and who he forever will be, and to respond accordingly. We must expand our view of Christmas. And when we expand our view of Christmas, then we have that greater gift in mind. 
a gift of salvation. And with that in mind, we can extend our hope for Christmas. Extend our hope for Christmas. If you jump ahead into the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 29 through, through 32. And we get the story of, of Simeon here. And, and Simeon was a, a man who had waited to see the Messiah, had prayed to see the Messiah. When Jesus is brought to the temple, Simeon sees Jesus and recognizes him for who he is. In verse 29, he says, now master, and master here is God the Father. He says, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. And again, these are the words of Simeon, a righteous and devout man who was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He'd waited to see the Messiah. And when Jesus came to the temple, he knew that that child was God's promised Messiah. The Holy Spirit reveals it to him. But what I want you to see in this cry of Simeon, his call to God, his gratitude for having seen what he had waited so long to see, is that Simeon's hope for the Messiah was not a hope that his life would be better. Simeon didn't, didn't see Jesus and go, oh, good, now my life's going to get better. In fact, he says, now I can die in peace. So it wasn't about Simeon's life being better. It wasn't about giving Simeon more satisfaction in his work. Well, now that the Messiah has come, I can find meaning in what I do, and that will make me happy and satisfied. No, because again, he's going to die now. Simeon's hope in the Messiah wasn't even that he would be happier in life. Because again, he's going to die now. Simeon's hope had nothing to do with him. Do you recognize that? Read that again. Simeon's hope had nothing to do with his satisfaction. Simeon's hope was in seeing the Messiah and knowing that this was God's preparation to bring salvation to the whole world, both the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, I've seen the Messiah who brings the glory and the majesty of salvation. He says, this is awesome. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Now I can die in peace. Listen, we all have a tendency and you can disagree with me if you want, but you're wrong. We all have the tendency to wrap our hope in ourselves. Right? What I hope for is best for me. Even when I hope for my kids, hope good things for my kids, it's so that I can see my kids prosper and do well. It's still wrapped up in me. It's still wrapped up in my little, my little world, my little kingdom. We all wrap our hope and our own desires and what we think is best for, that, for ourselves. Now, to a certain extent, that's okay. 
right? To a certain extent, that, that's, that's our natural response. I don't hope that things go badly for myself. Do you? I don't hope that my kids struggle and hurt and can't figure out a way to, to move forward. Do you? I don't want bad things for my grandchildren and their grandchildren and their grandchildren. Do you? No. We don't want that. But here's the thing. If our hopes are built on our desires, what we think we should have, the way we think people should treat us, what we think others should do for us, how they should honor us, respect us, bow down before our desires. <laughs> right, if that's where our hope stops, then we live in false hopes, hopes that will never, ever, ever be fulfilled. Psalm 146, verse three and four says, do not trust in nobles in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground and on that day, his plans die. So you and I, if we build our hopes on ourselves, they're hopes that will go unfulfilled because you and I will die. Our plans, our hopes, our dreams will never satisfy us because they were born of broken, failed, fallen flesh. But biblical hope Hope that we talk about with Jesus Christ is not some wishful thinking for our best. Biblical, biblical hope is a certainty that is gained through Jesus Christ. It is a certainty we have in who he is, what he has done, and what he will continue to do. When we live in that certainty of knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the King, the ruler of all creation, and he is our hope, and all of our expectations flow through him, we will be satisfied, we will be fulfilled. And we have to extend that certainty of joy and peace through the incarnation of Jesus Christ out from ourselves and into the world. Because that kind of hope is not a matter of, of theocracy, of having a nation ruled by God. It's not about any political position or social reform. It's a matter of knowing the ultimate victory of the king on behalf of his kingdom. This is a hope for us. Because while it's not yet fulfilled, right, we're still looking for Jesus to come back. He's going to complete his work when he comes back. We're still looking ahead. But it's not that we look ahead going, man, I hope Jesus comes back. I, I hope he wins. No, that is a certainty because we know who Jesus is. We know what he accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we look not with, with fingers crossed, but we look with a certainty knowing that he is coming back. And we know what is going to happen when he does. And you know how we know that? Because he told us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 34. Jesus says, when the son of man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So when Jesus comes back, he's gonna separate the sheep from the goats. Those who trust him, obey him, follow him, surrender, sacrifice, give their lives to him from those who sought their own will over God's. And to the sheep, he will say, the kingdom is yours. That is a certainty. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if I get this done on time, here's what I might do. Hey, if you guys are really good, I'll bring a treat when I return. No, it's a certainty of what God is going to do. We have this eternal hope in which we are certain to celebrate the joy of Jesus' victory in the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever if we've surrendered our lives to him. Joy to the world is a a beautiful picture of this, that song, that incredible song that we, we sing often at Christmas. It's actually a song of the second coming. Right? If, you, if you study the lyrics of Joy to the World, it's actually about Jesus' return. And all the world will bow before him and worship him, proclaim his name. So why do we sing it at Christmas? Because it's this beautiful reminder of what was started in the manger. Joy to the world, Jesus has come and he started that work. And he delivered us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so now we can look with certainty at his return to know the glory of that day and to know that no matter what this life throws at you and me, we have the return of Christ. However awful, and listen, I don't say this to downplay your suffering or what you're going through. Don't ever hear that from me, but I will always also be honest with you and say whatever you are suffering today, whatever you are suffering in this life, know it is minuscule compared to the glory and the joy of eternity in God's presence. I know that pain hurts. I know that suffering stinks. And I wish you didn't have to go through it. But we do. But we remember how minuscule that is compared to the eternal glory of Jesus Christ who was born in the manger and who will return. Listen, is our hope built around what we want, around our desires, around the ease of our life here today? Or is it built on the certainty of who Jesus is, who he was, and who he forever will be? We extend our hope for Christmas. Finally, our expanded view and extended hope on Christmas allows us to focus our joy on Christmas. Focus our joy on Christmas. Go a little further in the New Testament, the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. And I tell you this every year, um, so I'm gonna tell you again and I'll tell you again next year and you know, hopefully the year after and the year after and the year after that. But this is my favorite non-Christmas Christmas passage. Right? This, is, this is my favorite passage that we often read and we're like, ah, that doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, but it is the Christmas message right here. 
Galatians chapter 4. Verses four through seven says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Jesus came not as a, 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 some kind of vision or, or spiritual picture of God coming into humanity, not as a, a mere figment of the first century imagination, but he came born in the flesh, born to a virgin named Mary, born under the law, to satisfy the law as the pure, spotless lamb. Because he came under the law, the law which says in order to to rebuild the bridge between you and God, you have to live perfectly according to the law, according to everything that's laid out in the Old Testament. Because Jesus came and abided by that perfectly, he became the only sacrifice that would suffice to pay our penalty of sin and death. Because he fulfilled the law, we are freed from the law. We are no longer slaves, but we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And as sons and daughters of God, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we are brought into the the kingdom and the family of our father. Think about that for a second. Just think about what that means. That Jesus, who was perfect, who didn't have to come to this world, didn't have to endure heat, cold, hunger, thirst, pain, suffering, who had, again, honestly had no reason to do it. But out of his love and his obedience to the Father, he came. And he came not just to show us how poorly we'd done in this life. Right, because if we look at Jesus' life and then we look at our lives, it's pretty evident that we're not great. That wasn't the reason Jesus came. He came to say, no, 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 I know all this, but I love you so much that I want you to know the Father's grace and mercy. And I want to redeem you from this life so that you could know the hope and the joy of all of eternity. And not only be welcomed into the kingdom, as one of God's loyal subjects, right? Which even that would have been awesome if God was like, okay, you can, you can come into the kingdom of heaven, right? But now you gotta, you know, keep your distance. Don't, don't mess up too badly here. But he didn't just leave us as, as people who got to come into the kingdom. He made us his children. He made us heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen, that is absolutely astounding. 
when you think back in your life and you think back over Christmas's past, we all have favorite Christmas presents that we've ever gotten, right? You just take a moment. Think of that, that favorite Christmas present. For me, I've had a couple of them, uh, and it's guitars. When I was given guitars for, for Christmas, uh, because <laughs> I love guitars. Right? And they were great gifts. They were things that I wanted, that I used constantly, uh, that, that were very useful to me, but I wouldn't have been able to buy at the moment on my own. And so I, I got these, I've, I've over the years gotten a couple of times, gotten these incredible Christmas gifts of guitars, and I love them, and they're amazing. But no matter how much I play them, no matter how well I take care of them, no matter how much I enjoy them, they'll break down. They'll fade away. They're limited in the the joy that they bestow into my life. Whatever that best Christmas present that you thought of that came to mind, you know the same is true of that present. It will break down. It will go away. It is limited in the joy that it can bestow in your life. But our great joy, our great joy in Christmas is not in gifts, family gatherings, candlelight services, nativity sets, favorite treats, songs, traditions, or, or any other thing associated with Christmas. Those are great. And again, don't get me wrong. We should take great joy in those things. You should love those traditions and those, uh, those songs and those meals and whatever it is that you love about Christmas. But for our joy to be complete and full, it re- must remain properly focused. Not on all that stuff of Christmas, Not even on a manger on the first Christmas morning. Our focus remains on that manger and what the manger led to. That manger as the path which leads to the throne of heaven. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Ron taught on Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, we read this in verses 6 through 8. It said, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This picture of the humility of Jesus, what's it show us? You notice that it shows us the manger as the pathway to the cross. He came in the form of a man. He was born as a child to a woman and laid in a manger. He took on the likeness of man. In doing so, he humbled himself, becoming obedient from the manger to the cross. We celebrate, as Pastor Ron said earlier, we celebrate a manger that sits in the shadow of the cross. 
and we rejoice not simply because Jesus came to earth, but because he came to earth as a child, born of a woman, born under the law of righteousness so that we could be redeemed and restored to our created place in God's presence. We proclaim the joy of a God who saved and loved us when we were lost and unlovable. We celebrate the fullness of the gospel that the perfect and holy God created us and gave us everything. And we rejected him in favor of ourselves, in favor of our pride, in favor of our arrogance. And time and time again, we rejected him until at just the right time, when the time came to completion, he sent his son into the world to live the perfect life that you and I failed to live, to die sacrificially the death that you and I deserve to die, to rise victoriously in a way that you and I could never win a victory so that he could deliver us completely from ourselves, from sin, from death, from the darkness of the world around us into his kingdom of light that we might know the joy the worship of our God and King forever and ever and ever and ever. Not as defeated subjects of his kingdom, but as his children. Listen, regardless of our situations, our losses, our uncertainties, our successes, our our sorrows, our whatever situations this life brings, can we today honestly say that we rejoice in the coming of the Messiah, the birth of the King, and the assurance of our deliverance? Is that the focus of our joy in this Christmas season? In the next eight days, we'll approach Christmas Day with an ever-increasing rapidity. We know where our hearts need to focus We know how we need to treat others and and interact with others. We know the theological truths we need to hold tightly as we celebrate with friends and and family and, and, and the church. And that's all well and good. But knowing what we do and knowing where we need to be is all useless if our spirits aren't moved by the immensity of God's deliverance through Jesus Christ. And if we aren't spurred on to keep that truth as the center of our lives. Because it becomes just one more action and one more activity. As good as those things may be, if our hearts are not moved, our spirits are not centered, it's all worthless and it's all meaningless. And it's all a pretty show that we put on for people around us who are watching. But if we're gonna allow God's glory as revealed in his son and displayed through his spirit to transform our lives and by extension to transform the Christmas season this year and and every year, then we must expand our view of Christmas from a day in the calendar to an eternity in the kingdom of heaven. We must extend our hope for Christmas from, from our lives to the hope of salvation that is offered to all of those created in God's image. And we must focus our joy on Christmas, not on the stuff for traditions or activities, but on the birth of the one who came to die 
on our behalf to bring us into the eternal family of God. Church family, may this Christmas bring renewed meaning, renewed purpose, renewed hope, renewed joy, renewed celebration in our hearts as we are transformed by the love, grace, and mercy of the incarnation of God and the Messiah who would deliver us through his perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and eternal reign over all of his creation. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time as we we lead into our Christmas celebrations. We thank you for the ability to step back and just take a few moments. And Father, I, I, I for one, repent of the way that I allow other things to get in the way of the focus of, of my heart in this Christmas season. Repent of the ways that we've allowed fatigue and and chaos and and busyness and good things to slip in and draw my heart and draw my eyes from where they need to be. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace of knowing how we slip into that mode all too easily. We thank you for your redemption that draws us back into your loving arms. And we might stop and take a breath and remember the joy and hope and peace and celebration of this season. One that celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ but understands that that is the birth of an eternal God. It is the birth of the one who would live perfectly to redeem us, who would die on our behalf, and the one who would reign and rule forever and ever and ever. And Father, may our view of Christmas never be lost in simply a moment in time but may we look at that moment and celebrate that moment rightfully so, but celebrate it for what it is. Is that one piece, as important as it is, that one piece of that puzzle. Of the work, of the redemption, that we could not achieve on our own, but was gifted to us. And Father, as we think of that, may we simply cry out praise to your great and awesome name. May we celebrate the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the victory of the manger the cross, and the empty tomb. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, and in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.